beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, you, you remember why we are studying prayer? It's because of the way that Lord's Day 44 ended. After dealing with all the commandments, we asked, well, why does God have the commandments preached so strictly if no one can keep them? And one of the reasons that we confessed from the scripture was that it drives us to prayer. It drives us to pray to God to change us, to be more and more more like him. So that the things we love, the things we love to think about, say, and do, reflect more and more his holy will. And so it drives us to prayer. And then you look at Lord's Day 45. And in the beginning of Lord's Day 45, we confess why prayer is so important. Because it works this way. Look at question answer 116. God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. So you can't live a holy life in your own power. You need to be plugged into the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so you need to pray for that. You need to pray that he would work in your life and change your heart. And God will give you his grace. He will give you the power of his spirit to live more and more holy, more and more like the Lord Jesus. But he'll only give it if you ask for it. Fervently, constantly, with heartfelt longing. And that's why we're studying prayer now, because prayer is very very vital then to the Christian life. If you're wondering why you're kind of spinning your tires and you're not really advancing in holiness and in love for God, why you're not really growing in sanctification, maybe you need to have a look at your prayer life. Because if you're not given to a lot of praying, then you're not going to be seeing a lot of growth. So we pray because we want to be more like Christ. Christ loved the law. We want to love the law. Christ just naturally did the law. The law says, love God, love your neighbor. And that's what the Lord Jesus just did. He didn't even have to try. That's who he is. He loves God. He loves his neighbor. And we want that to be true of us. We we want to be like that. We want to be that it's just natural. I love God. I love my neighbor. I don't even have to work at it. That's just who I am. We just love. We love God. We love our neighbor. It's who we are. And so the Catechism reminds us from the Scripture, not only that justification is a gift of sovereign grace, but also that sanctification is a gift of sovereign grace. Remember that justification is where you're made right with God. You're not guilty. You don't owe anything. You're not seen as a sinner, a guilty sinner before him. And sanctification is where that truth is applied to you and more and more experienced in your life. You become more and more like Jesus. And so they're both sovereign gifts of God. Now, we heard this this morning that if I'm a grumpy old sinner giving in to miserable lusts of the old nature, then the answer to my problem is is not to try harder to be a better person. The answer is not to whitewash my life on the outside. 
Well, the answer is that I need a changed heart. I need the Holy Spirit of God to move in and direct my life so that I walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And so prayer is a way of plugging in to, these trans, to this transforming heavenly power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is a means of grace. Now, the main means of grace, the, the main pipelines, or, or yeah, I would say pipelines, that, that God uses to, to pour his grace into our lives is through the preaching of the sacraments. But prayer is also a means of grace. And because it is a means of grace, we need to make use of it more. Think of a lamp, a reading lamp in the living room, and it's getting dark outside, and you want to read, and, and you turn it on if it's one of those old-fashioned ones with a little button, and it doesn't turn on. You, you can change the style. You can change the light bulb to a different wattage. You can change the color. You can change the position in the living room, but it's not going to shine with light unless it's plugged into the outlet. And that's the way we are. For us to shine as the children of God in this dark world, we don't need to work on all kinds of cosmetic and external changes. We need to be plugged into the power. We need to be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the main connections, like I said, to Christ are the Word the preaching and the reading of God's word, the sacraments, and then in the third place, prayer. And for the electricians amongst us, that's like three-phase power that connects us to the power of God. And so the question is, are we praying enough? And the answer is no. Because the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. Are we setting aside time for prayer? Are we prioritizing prayer? Or in our little self-important lives, are we so busy with our little self-important things that we don't have time to speak to the master of the universe before we zoom off into our day to try and make his universe a better place. Do we even know how to pray? Well, Lord's Day 45 through to 52, the end of the catechism, is a, a training manual on prayer. And as we're going through these Lord's Days, we, we ought not to get lost in the theological details of the, the what, of the content of what we're praying. Obviously, we have to deal with the content, but, but we have to remember to pay attention to what the Lord Jesus is teaching us about how to pray. That's what he wants to do with the Lord's Prayer. He's giving us principles. He's giving us an attitude. He's giving us guidelines for what prayer ought to look like. Now, in Lord's Day 46, we were reminded, and that was a few weeks ago, so I'll just summarize it very quickly, Lord's Day 46, which, which is, uh, deals with the first part of the, the, the prayer, Our Father in Heaven, we were reminded that the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray Our Father in Heaven. 
And when he does that, he's telling us that we are beloved children. We're always welcome. We're always acceptable. We're always loved, not because of what we do or what we don't do, but because of who we are. We are God's children. And a parent delights when a child confides and opens their heart and shares their joys and their anxieties. And it pleases a good parent when the child has done something wrong. that The child comes to mom or dad and says, listen, this is what I've done wrong and, and needs to be dealt with. And when the child opens up to mom and dad so that it can be dealt with, with love and grace. And so our Father in heaven, he delights to hear us. You know, some of us perhaps have had or have presently earthly parents who, who aren't getting that right, who, who are too busy or who aren't interested in being approached by their children. But our Heavenly Father always gets it right. He's always delighted to hear his children speak with him. And don't let the devil fool you. Don't let the devil tell you, well, you need to fix up your life. You need to be a little bit better before God's going to want to hear you pray. It's a lie. You can always speak to your Father in heaven. So this is Lord's Day 46. And then Lord's Day 47, which we have today, this afternoon before us, the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray, to praise. I know that the grammar's a little awkward here, but I did that on purpose. He teaches us to pray, to praise. It's not a form prayer. It's not as though we have to pray exactly like the Lord's Prayer and have the same order of the same topics every prayer that's done. But the point is, what is the main concern of your prayer? Whether it comes first in order is not really the point. What is the overriding concern of your prayer? And Jesus says it needs to be this. Hallowed be your name. That's going to be the core of your prayer. That's going to be your key desire in prayer, that God's name be hallowed. And boy, we really need to hear this, because I'm not sure we do this. Our minds and our hearts are full of all kinds of things we want to tell God about us. But Jesus says, hang on a minute. Start with what's important. Hallowed be your Name. Now, let's look at these words for a moment in general from, with the background of teaching of the Scripture. Name is reputation. Our name is a symbol which represents who we are. It's not just words. It's words which represent us or syllables which represent us. And so when our name is spoken in derision or mockery or in anger, it's not just some random syllables. It's what they're thinking about us. And for those of you who watched Seinfeld many years ago, you remember when Jerry would see the, the postman and would say, hello, Newman. And just the way he said it showed what he thought about this other character. Your name represents who you are. The way people treat your name represents what they think about you. And so the Lord Jesus wants the primary focus of our prayer to be seeking the hallowing of God's name. Now, hallowing is not a word we use every day or every week. I mean, we have Halloween. We use that once a year, perhaps. And we know from Halloween that it means holy, right? Halloween is holy evening. So, hallowing, to hallow something is to make it 
holy. It's a very old-fashioned word. It means to make holy or to treat or to acknowledge as holy. Well, what does holy mean? Well, in the Bible, holy means separated to God's service, dedicated to God's glory. And it also has the idea of being separated to it because of the fall. You see, before the fall, the the idea of separation wasn't really in the word holy because everything was holy. Everything was totally dedicated to to God's service, to God's glory. And so there was no idea of separation, but that was just the purpose of the universe. That was the purpose of everything and every person. It's the reason everything was created, to to serve, to, to be dedicated to God's glory. And after the fall... We have a different situation. People and things were and are used to dishonor God. And so after the fall, holy also includes the idea of separateness, that that it has nothing to do with anything or any people that don't bring honor and glory to God. And so what does Jesus teach us to pray? Hallowed be your name. Made holy be your name. May your name be made holy. But, but obviously, we're not making God holy by praying. We're, we're acknowledging, we're recognizing, we're praising, we're worshiping him for his holiness. We're, we're praying that he would glorify his name, that everything and everyone would glorify his name. What are we asking the Lord Jesus to do? Well, we're asking him, to help us be like those conquering saints in Revelation chapter 15. If you turn to Revelation 15, verses 3 and 4, you see these saints standing before the throne, and look what they sing. Look how they pray, because singing is, is just a prayer with a melody. So look what they say. They say, great, it's Revelation 15, verse, verse 3. They say, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. The Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. That's the way we want to pray. We're saying, Lord Jesus, help us to pray like that. We want to glorify your name because of who you are and what you've done, because of your great and amazing deeds and your righteous acts of salvation. And we don't want that just for us. We want the whole universe to be part of this song of praise and prayer. We want everything and everyone to be involved in this. That's the motivation of our prayer. We long for our whole being and our whole world to be so healed that everything, everyone, everywhere, all the time, sings the song of creation. What is the song of creation? Well, we get a few glimpses of it, right? Revelation 4.8. If you look at Revelation 4.8, what are those creatures singing before the throne day and night? They never stop singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We get another little snippet of the song of the universe, worthy, in verse 11, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And then look at the, the 24 elders in Revelation 5, 9. Look what they sing. 
Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then everybody joins in. In verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So that's the elders and the living creatures and the angels. And then the whole universe joins in for the chorus, which is everything that has ever been created, every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth, in the sea, and all that is in them. What do they sing? Look at Revelation 5.13. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing, honor, glory, and might forever and ever. And we're saying, Lord, we would really like to be a part of that. We want to praise you. And we're praying for you to make that happen in our lives, to help us. You see, the universal praise and worship has to start somewhere. And the Lord Jesus teaches us that it starts with you. He teaches us to pray to praise. And as you look at Laws 47, you notice there are two paragraphs. In the first paragraph, the church confesses that if we want to praise, we're going to have to know what we're praising. We have to have some content to praise God for. You can't praise someone if you don't know anything about them, if you don't know what there is to praise. So, so we, we say, you know what, Lord, help us to rightly know you. Well, how do we know God? We know him through his works. We know him through his works in our own lives. We know what God does and has done in our lives, what God is doing. And we know him through his works and the scriptural record of his mighty works of redemption throughout history. And if we want to know how to pray, if we want to know how to praise if we want to know how to lift up and exalt the name of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ, who has the name which is above every other name, then we need to know who God is and what he has done. And that means we need to know how to study our lives and see the hand of God in our lives, his providence in our day and our weeks and our months and our years. And we need to know the Scripture. We need to know the historical record of the mighty redemptive acts of God. We need to study them. We need to meditate on them. Because the more we know them, the more we understand them, the more we think about them, the more we perceive shining forth in them his almighty power and wisdom and goodness and righteousness and mercy and truth. And the more we see those glorious things, the more we are incited to sanctify and glorify and praise God. So how is your prayer life? If your prayer life is weak and anemic, then you need to feed yourself some more scripture. You know, we have a, a prayer meeting every week between six and seven. And the first round of the prayer meeting, we all worship and praise God for 
one aspect of who he is and what he has done. And God is infinite in his love and his grace and his truth and his wisdom and his justice and his mercy. He's infinite. And yet, sometimes it's kind of tough for us to each choose one thing about God to praise him for. It's not because there's a deficiency in God. But it's because we have very small and slow minds. And we have trouble. And we need to practice. And so we need to read. We need to meditate on the mighty acts of God in Christ. That gives us content for our prayers. Well, there's an example that we can find. There are a whole bunch of examples, but you can look very quickly at Psalm 44, for instance. In Psalm 44, the, the psalmist is kind of upset because it seems that God has rejected his people and, and they're, they're, they're losing their battles and they're being disgraced among the nations and things are going very badly. But you'd never guess that from reading the first few verses because he starts not with his own problems, but he starts by praising and hallowing the name of God. And so you, you see, for instance, um, in verse 5, he says, Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise against us. Look at verse 8. In God we have boasted continually. We will give thanks to your name forever. So he rehearses who God is. God is a loving God, a God who hears prayers, a God who has a great name, a God who saves his people. And once he's hallowed the name, then he goes in and, and shares the problem with God. He says, well, look, God, verse 9, but you've rejected us and disgraced us, haven't gone out with our armies. And then he starts sharing his, his complaint with God, his plea, his petition. And so he takes the time to keep the main thing, the main thing, the first thing, the first thing, to remember to hallow God's name. And we read Jeremiah 32, and you notice the same thing there, right? Jeremiah was confused. The, the kingdom was about to fall. The enemy was about to occupy. God was telling him to go buy some land as if life was just going on like normal. He really didn't understand what God was doing, and he had questions about it. And he starts praying, but he begins his prayer by saying, you know what, I'm just going to worship you first, God. You are amazing. You are faithful. You are good. You are holy. You are righteous. You are true. That's the main focus of his prayer. And so, brother and sister, like I said, it's, it, Jesus isn't telling us that, that every prayer has to have the same structure and begin with the same type of words. But he is telling us that the worship and the glory of and the lifting up of the name of our Father ought to be the main concern in our prayers. Now, we have our griefs. We have our afflictions. We have our pains. And it's okay to cry out and to struggle in prayer and to plead for relief and for understanding. That is a vital part of prayer. And we can pour out our hearts to God even if we don't have the right words. The Holy Spirit will help us. He'll intercede for us. This is what the Lord Jesus teaches us. As agonizing as our suffering and affliction may be, 
And as deeply as we, we may want to long for and ask for relief, the overriding concern of our prayer is not us. It's not me. It's not my relief. It's not my needs. It's not an overriding concern centered on me. But the overriding concern of my prayer as a Christian is, ought to be this, that whatever is happening in my life, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much I don't understand what's going on, oh God, may your name be glorified by me and through me and because of me. Help me to praise you. Help me to glorify your name. Help me to do what you created me to do. You know, sometimes a believer can be afflicted greatly. and may plead with the Lord and plead with the Lord and plead with the Lord to relieve them from that affliction. And the Lord's answer is no. The affliction stays and the pain stays and the trouble stays and the hurt stays. And we don't understand why the Lord's doing that. And in the end, the only place that you can end up in is this conclusion. I must worship. Whatever you're doing, Lord, I know you're doing it for your glory. And that is enough for me. And so Jesus teaches us to pray to praise. And so we need to know God. We need to know his works. We need to have content to worship and glorify him for. And then in the second paragraph of Lord's A47, the Catechism says, listen, it's not enough just to talk the talk. You've got to walk the walk. This ought not to be something which is just uh, restricted to the words that come out in your spoken or private and quiet prayers in your heart. Our life needs to be a song, a prayer of praise. Everything we have, everything we do, everything we are must be perfectly tuned to the glory, honor, and praise of God. And not just that. We want our whole life to be perfectly tuned to God's praise, and then we want the whole world to join in and praise along with us. And what does the Lord Jesus tell us in Matthew 5, 16? He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We want God's name to be lifted up and exalted because people see the work of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Well, that's what the first petition tells us about what Jesus wants for our prayers, about the Lord Jesus Christ, what he wants for our prayers. He wants us to have this overriding concern for God's name to be praised and glorified. Is that a description of your prayer life? Is that a description of your life? Is your life a life of contagious praise? You carry the name 
on your forehead. You are baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you bear that name. Are you hallowing the name? You see, Jesus tells us that we ought to be praying, Lord, don't let your name be blasphemed because of me. I want my whole life, my words, my thoughts, my actions. I want my whole life to serve your greater glory. You know, you've got the job of hallowing the name. That's your job. And it can't be a part-time job. You can't do it sometimes and then sometimes not do it. You've been set apart. You've been sanctified. You've been called to this 24-7. If you're going to go for brain surgery and they're wheeling you into the theater, and along the way the surgeon stops and he pops into the bathroom and borrows a drill from a construction guy that's drilling holes in one of the washroom stalls and says, yeah, I need a drill for the operation. You're not going to go into that operating room because you want a drill which is dedicated and clean and sterilized and a medical-grade surgery drill. You don't want a drill that's used sometimes for dirty work and sometimes for operating theater work. If you go to a restaurant and the chef's about to ladle your soup, and you're like, wait a minute, I saw his son outside playing in the mud with that same ladle five minutes before we entered into the restaurant. So I, don't, I, I don't want to eat that soup. Because I want a ladle that's not used sometimes for dirty work and sometimes for serving food. Those ridiculous examples, I know. But even more ridiculous is a child of God who sometimes hallows the name and sometimes doesn't. That's even more absurd. So here's the question. Are we dedicated to God's praise? And we have to admit, brothers and sisters, that we're very inconsistent. I mean, there are wonderful things that happen. There are great acts of love. But there are also so many remaining selfishnesses. There are wonderful demonstrations of the peace, joy, patience, and, and fruit of the Spirit. But in our lives, there are also ugly things. There are the angry recriminations, the, the heated arguments, the, the nasty comments in conversation and online. And if the world sees the works of the flesh in us, that takes away from the glory of the name. Then the name is not hallowed. In Romans chapter 2, Paul accuses the people of Israel on this point. He says, listen, you guys talk about God and all this God language and serving God and obeying God, but then you go off and you live in sin. And he says, you know what? The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And he's speaking about God's people who, who love to talk, but they didn't live as God's people. And that's the way the devil wants things. The devil doesn't mind really good, solid theology. It's fine. The devil doesn't mind everything being perfectly exact and perfect and, and biblical and reformed as long as we're just living as if none of that was true. That's the way he wants it. He likes whitewashed walls, whitewashed tombs. 
So the devil loves it because it brings shame on the name of our Father. But we are children of God, and we don't want that. What do we confess in the Catechism? We want, Lord Jesus, please make it so that our whole life, our thoughts, words, and actions are totally dedicated to glorify the name. And because we're not there yet, because our thoughts and words and actions are not yet perfectly at every moment and in every place and every situation, they're not perfectly yet aligned to the glory of God's name. That's why we pray. We plead with God to make it happen. Lord, hallowed be your name. And so I am an insistent prayer because I want to be a consistent praiser. So the question is this, are you praising God perfectly? Is your life a perfect song of glory to the name? Are people around you just driven to glorify God because they see the light and the life and the character and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in you, in your marriage, in your family, in your home, in your work, in your words, in your attitudes? Is that happening? Well, brothers and sisters, that's where we're headed. That's what it's going to be like into all eternity. We're going to get to that perfect state. But we're not there yet. There's still a lot that has to be changed. And so what do we do? We don't work harder. We don't try harder. But we ask God to do it. We pray. We ask God to make his honor, his glory, his praise the focus of our prayers, our thoughts, our words, our actions, our life. That's what the Lord Jesus is teaching us to do in the first petition. He is teaching us to pray, to praise. Amen.